Greetings, podcast enthusiasts near and far. I'm Paulette Gloria Harwood, and I'm your host of Thriving in Chaos. As podcasts are the trendy things to do these days, I thank you for sharing the love by tuning in. I'm thrilled you're listening to the sparkling examples of excellence in womanhood I find and curate. I believe these inspiring, wise, powerful, trailblazing souls light the way for us as we each learn to gracefully navigate our journeys. As a certified divorce coach, I have been witness to confusion, sadness, change, and growth. I have learned that all we really need is to share our knowledge, support, and love to guide our sisters to all the possibilities in life. I am dedicated to helping clients leave behind the turmoil, confusion, and chaos of divorce while adding value to their best life with tips, tools, and personal experience. If you are so inspired, please subscribe to my podcast and share with others you think who may benefit. And now, let's thrive in chaos. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Thriving in Chaos. I am Paulette Gloria Harwood, and you are here on the podcast. And to all of you out there in the United States, um, it's uh, post-4th of July, so um, maybe that's a good thing. Some of us tend to uh, over-celebrate, and some of you, it's a bad thing. You know, it's uh, traffic and getting back into the norm, but I do believe it's going to be a long holiday weekend for most people. Uh, So I myself am... um, gently recovering from a really beautiful transformation in holiday uh, celebrating. Uh, My husband and I just recently uh, shifted gears to where we were living, to an agri-hood in Georgia. And um, I have to say that celebrating 4th of July has really equated more of wellness than partiness. Is that a word? It is now. So um, I'm loving it. And um, I'm excited about 2020, but today I am really thrilled to be here with, I guess, a comrade, a peer, um, a sister, a goddess. Um, her name is Stacy McCoy, and we had the um, the pleasure and the honor of meeting each other in Boston with Mastin Kip way back in the day when Mastin was a little bit more accessible and his book had just come out uh, and hit one of his first books. I believe what, I forget what it was called, but it was about his story about the daily love and how he uh, ended up uh, surfing a couch all the way to um, being who he is now with really doing something, something called functional life coaching which is quite fascinating. His new book is um, called Reclaim Your Power. Oh no, Claim Your Power. So today, uh, Stacy and I met in Boston. We then re-met again in Bali, where we were both there in, I believe it was 2014. Well, so welcome to the show, Stace. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you again. 
it's crazy how five years, right, have passed since we met in that first, uh, I, I, I forget where it was, but it was a hotel in Boston and Mastin's book had just come out. Yes. What was it called? It was Growing Into Grace. So Thank yeah, we you. were- we Growing met into grace. Yeah. Yes. So we met in in line. I think that we were waiting to to meet Mastin, not even knowing that we were both accepted and moving forward to um, the the Bali writing workshop. So I just remember being in line with you, kind of holding my book, and very excited to meet Mastin, who did his whole you know presentation on growing into grace, and then to actually rub shoulders with somebody that was going to be making this big trek was super exciting to have a New Englander um, in my back pocket. It made me feel so much more comfortable about, about making that big journey to Bali for a month. Yeah, the 22-hour flight was nothing compared to the work we had to do to get there. If I remember correctly, it was this long application process. We had to fill out an application, pretty much tell them our entire life story, be interviewed, accepted, and then, oh my God, the work we had to do when we were assigned our writing coach and we had to show up with an outline completely done and ready to go and have 28 days to write our book. It was, it was incredible. I still, you know, I, I can't believe, you know, it was, was five years ago, but yeah, that preparation, um, that intense preparation taught me so much, you know, it was really phenomenal to be held accountable because um, I had always considered myself just this, you know, a closet writer. I was a writing major in, in college, but again, it wasn't really until after my, my divorce, which kind of, um, rekindled my journaling and love for writing. Um, and it, it just was really incredible how the whole thing came together. I still pinch myself. I really do. I just cannot believe that, that you know, that was such a, a beautiful and really important part of my life. And, and the journey of a writer is never ending, right? It, <laughs> I was also a communications journalism major in college and never really considered myself a writer either. Mm -hmm. I love the term closet writer. You're hysterical, like coming out of the closet, right? It's yes. just the fact that you can utter those words of uh, the fact that you have the skill or the, the mindset and the commitment and dedication to write is painstaking because once you utter those words and you own it, it feels real. And at that point up to then, you can just sort of dabble and, and journal and joke and write. But when you actually write something and publish it and uh, continue to write, then it changes everything. It really did. And I have to say what was so interesting, and I think it was about halfway through, um, you know, our writing experience in Bali, you know, sitting in that humid, rainy season up on, on the deck and just kind of pounding away at the keyboard. And I remember just needing to kind of take an emotional break. And um, I had a wonderful friend um, who supported um, my journey. I, there's so many people that really helped to guide me there. But I had a, a one of my friends, Steve, was kind of checking in. He saw me on social media taking a break. And he said, hey, when are you going to change um, your language about how you speak about yourself and call yourself a writer? I think that you've, you know, you've earned that title. He's like, I want to see that change on your Facebook page. So, mm. and it was really, I remember the fear that, you know, I said, man, that's making it real. It's like, even though I'm here and I'm, I'm writing and, 
just kind of immersed in this wonderful experience, it was so scary to, you know, type those words to hit enter and to really kind of consider myself a, a writer with a message. So what do you say to my listenership? And my listenership is very diverse from performing arts to expats to traveling, wellness, divorce, writers, just wellness in general. I'm a macrobiotic cook and a birth doula and do other other crazy things. But as a general, I find that my listenership is predominantly women who are just at the brink of getting to the point where they can utter those words of, I either want to consider divorce or I'm getting through it and trying to survive the battle. And most importantly, those on the other end who are just finished and feel confused about what next with their lives. So what do you say to those women who say, I have a book in me, it's burning to get out. How do I do it? Like, what was that transformation and that journey like for you from what your friend said when are you going to own it and make it real and and actually claim it as a skill? Well, I think it's also, you know, for me, I think what what really helped was, again, my my divorce, um, that friction of, of divorce, um, that, you know, the pain of the divorce um, also, again, was so transformative. It really was the catalyst. I really felt like, you know, I, I need to start getting some of this stuff out um, of my head and certainly of my heart. You know, there was a physical pain that kind of came along with that process. So um, for me, it was, you know, as I started to journal, um, dipping my toe back into it um, and sharing it with a couple of very valued friends um, that, that, you know, would give me some honest feedback as well, too, because, it, you know, it, again, it's frightening to put it to put it down on paper and and um, to certainly then to kind of birth it out into the world. And that's even a blog post that's via an email. I think that, you know, we're getting pretty vulnerable when we when we share this stuff. But um, for me, it was so it was truly healing and transformative you know I was able to kind of look at each friction um, and and then also kind of value the lesson in it so uh, you know it was through that process that I realized like you know feedback um, from friends is like you kind of you have something important to share and to say and I think that's within all of us we're all going to experience friction um, conflict um, but I, I do feel it kind of harnessing that that power um, gives us additional knowledge and grace. Um, it allows us to, to practice that as well, too. Um, so for anybody that's just contemplating, I say grab a pen and pa- I'm a pen and paper person. I, you know, I love to put pen to, to paper first or, or and then hammer it out on your keyboard. But I would just say start where you're at, um, that we all kind of have like these lessons and, and sharing with vulnerability is so powerful. You know, we are, we're not alone. We're not alone. No, we're not alone. And I felt so alone until I started to write too. And it was meeting all 29 of you. Um, there were 30 of us there together for 28 days that I realized that everyone has a story everyone has a journey. It's usually messy and ugly and 
embarrassing and confusing, but until you find the courage and the strength to tell your story and be honest and stop hiding behind the facade of who everyone thinks you are, then your story owns you and you no longer own your story and you can't transform and process and heal. And divorce is one of those things where we need to heal, sister. Oh, oh, oh yes. A- amen to that. You know, I think, and it is, it is messy. I mean, you know, because I think, you know, again, you're, de- you're dealing with two people and, and it's really the lesson for me was kind of really understanding and accepting that, you know, another's behavior has so much more to do with their own internal struggles um, and, it, and it wasn't so much about me. And then also getting real about my own behavior. And, um, and again, my behavior having to do with my own internal struggles. Um, so I just always felt, and again, in, in the middle of it, it was really hard to see and journaling and writing really helped me to, to come out the other side, um, to just kind of acknowledge that through the divorce, you know, um, it was very reflective of things that, um, you know, I had yet to love or discover about myself and it provided a real opportunity for me to heal those things that needed some healing and to also just discover and transform, like what, what is the rest of my life going to look like? I'm no longer a wife. Um, I'm still, I'm still a mom, but those are the things that I had identified with throughout my 19 year relationship was, you know, um, you know, I'm a, I think I'm a pretty great wife and I want to be a really great mom. Um, but when, when I was, no, when I was suddenly the first divorced person in my, you know, immediate family, I was like, holy hell, this is not, this, this just suddenly took a real serious turn that I wasn't expecting. Um, so, I, you know, in hindsight, you know, it's just provided, I'm, I have such gratitude, not just for the marriage, marriage, but for its messiness, um, and for the lessons that allowed me to kind of transform myself. That's beautifully put, Stace. Thanks. Yeah, because uh, what I, we know as a certified divorce coach, in the course of my work, I do require my clients, not, not immediately, but depending on how long I work with them, some of them it's one session, others I work for them for a whole year. I require them to really write and process their divorce story. And I got that because uh, as a birth doula, I also require slash recommend my birth doula clients to process their birth story because they're much the same. There's a parallel between fear and overwhelm and stress and healing. And, you know, not everything goes perfect in a divorce. In fact, it usually doesn't. No two divorces are pretty. They're never pretty. Just like birth isn't pretty. You know, you have two. I have three. We know it's, you think, oh, I'm just going to go in there and it's all going to be beautiful. And they're going to wrap up this cute little baby and it's going to be joyful and healthy. And I'm going to give it a hug and everything's going to be great. And and that's not always the way it works. Oh, no, no, it's not. And I think, you know, especially when, you know, if, you know, divorce in itself is painful and messy. I think when you have children, um, you know, in the mix, you're just adding a whole other layer because, um, you know, we're, you know, as adults, we're figuring our own shit out, you know, <laughs> we're trying to get, know. You know, get it together. And, and there's a certain amount of trauma that we're, we're bringing to that. But, but I think the goal for me and what was really wonderful is I just felt, and thankfully I had, you know, some experience with, with child development and adverse childhood experiences and just kind of enough in my back pocket to know like, Hey, um, 
you know, while we're dealing with our messy stuff, um, you know, I really want to avoid um, putting all of us through unnecessary trauma. And, and I really felt it was an opportunity, even through the messy stuff, to kind of get clear on, like, where do we need to demonstrate some solidarity here? Where do we need to, you know, again, get our act together? And also, when we didn't, it's like, how are we going to agree to disagree? And believe me, because there were plenty of of difficult disagreements. It was, it was profoundly messy. It's like, how do you, you know, when are you going to introduce, you know, your, your girlfriend, you know, our children were super young. So it was like, and all of those issues, like simple things like birthday parties, are we doing, you know, are we all getting together? Are we inviting the girlfriend? Um, you know, how do we want our families to behave because they had undergone like tremendous loss. So all of these little messy things, I mean, it really kind of taught us to, again, it was either we're like, let's get on the same damn page or it was, okay, if we don't agree, you know, how, how are we going to agree to disagree here and set that um, example? So we're just not, um, you know, I, I always joke that the kids are like bananas, you know, and you're going to bruise them, you know, you're going to pick a banana, you know, but it's like how, you know, you know, can we try not to bruise them too much in the process here? I love that analogy. I've never heard that before, but that is a damn bumper sticker. Children are like bananas. <laughs> Try not to bruise them too much, right? Although they still taste good, right? Yeah. And you, have, you can always make banana bread. You don't have to throw them up. But that is such a great segue, Stacey, because I don't think, naturally, you're new to my audience. You know, you're you're kind of a quiet figure. But let's go back to the beginning. So you're from New Hampshire. Um I'm, I'm from Mass, and we kind of met in Boston at this event that Mastin was holding, and off we go to Bali for this adventure, which was a lot of work and taught me a tremendous amount about me and taking responsibility and accountability for my life, my actions, my behavior, and writing my story helped me process it. And a lot of my tribe, shall we call it, my yoga students at the time, embraced it, but a lot of my friends and family didn't. And there was a lot of that, like, how dare you have the, <clears throat> to stand up there and speak your mind and, you know, maybe hurt other people's feelings by being truthful. So ultimately you just write the story to get it off your chest and then you go back and edit, 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 edit. And the amount of stuff I took out is <laughs> three other books, but when you get, no, no, when you get down to it, you know, nobody's going to sit down and read a book more than 300 pages. So you've got to get it down, 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 down and keep burying it and burying it and burying it so that it's readable and it's not necessarily likable, but so that somebody out there can sit down and read it and transform and see it as an inspiration and an ability to get a view or a, a bird's eye view, an overall view of what is possible. Because I lived a life that was so fake and so quiet and I did so much to really just live my life to please others and to make other people happy, which is really the role of mother, right? I mean, don't we just predominantly do that? But oh, yeah. going forward, I think a lot of people don't understand your background because they don't know you in childhood family services. And you are an expert at childhood family services and recovery meeting house directors and the opioid crisis. And you don't just come to this platform, which is why I invited you today to speak as an expert, not only as a woman, but as a mother and as a divorced recovery 
um, expert to yourself. You've really, you know, lived it and walked it, but you have a background where you're not just having lived your own mess, but you see other people's mess. So can you talk briefly just about your background and how your background in family services prepared you for a divorce? Did it work for you or work against you? How did it actually um, complement or support your life experience? Oh, I feel so fortunate um, that that, and again, I didn't set out this way much like you. Again, I was an English major in college, um, you know, thought I was going to be a journalist and and came home, uh, you know, relocated. I was originally um, born and raised in, in central Maine, but um, the minute I left college, I just relocated to New Hampshire and kind of, um, you know, I, I've been here ever since. So, um, so I took, I actually took a substitute really thought would be, you know, um, just a great way to make a little bit of money and the nonprofit world, um, you know, low to moderate income families, um, that were struggling in New Hampshire, then it soon became my, my absolute obsession um, and, and great joy. So um, I never, you know, stepped back into, into writing. I ended up um, in, like you said, working in different facets of child and family services. Um, and I feel, you know, feel so, so fortunate because it was during that time I was, you know, I was young back then, Paulette. <laughs> um, and, and, and what was, oh, really... Stacey, we're still young. Don't be silly. Thank you. Good point. Thank you. Um, but, but it really, again, working with families, working with young parents, working with families in crisis, I just sort of cut my teeth on that growing up and then, you know, moved into, um, the management of these programs and, um, began serving, um, larger Stratford County, um, through our community action partnership. Yeah, which was just a, a prof it was just a humbling experience, um, but it it connected, you know, all of these experiences have have connected into into my own healing and my own well being. Um, so I felt like by the time that, um, you know, we recognized that the marriage was no longer going to work, that I had enough um, expertise. I'd seen a lot of stuff that just did not work. I you know was able to to be able to pull the resources that I had used to support families and their own healing. And, and I think that that, you know, provided my husband also, he had the, you know, a little bit of confidence too, um, because, Hey, divorce was new to him as well too. So when, when we started to look at what is this going to, to look like as we sort of, you know, disassemble this atomic bomb of a, <laughs> you know, like let's carefully, we don't want to set this off. Um, so it was, you know, it really did give me the tools to be able to, you know, it, it wasn't so much about me and this is, hey, this is how I feel about this, but it was more about this is really what the research shows. Like, this is what good co-parenting um, looks like. And I think that, you know, it even allowed us to, to move through the divorce process with a little bit more ease, write our own um, parenting plan. And, uh, and it just gave us something other than us and the pain that we were going through to, to really focus on. Um, so I feel super grateful. I think that, yes, my, it, my experience in child and family services, um, you know, was such, was such a gift. And, you know, the universe totally had my back there, I'll tell you. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Well, so that that's, I'm just sort of reminiscing here a little bit about clients and their fears. Mm. Um, because of course the mind's favorite phrase that keeps reiterating itself is what if mm. the drama, right? It's all about drama, 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 internal drama, the dialect in your brain where the thoughts start to come from. Well, what if, what, what if what I can't pay the bills? What if my kids never speak to me again? What if I don't have a home to live to? What if, what if, what if, what if the amount of questions that your mind can create that start with what if dot, dot, dot Mm. are endless. So how do you feel or how has a divorce affected you in being able to kind of you subsidize or, or, or quiet the, the what ifs. Have those what ifs changed for you uh, for your own personal experience? Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. And I, and, and again, I call that, you know, my kids, my kids would tell you, you know, I call that the, you know, future tripping, which is really easy to do those what ifs, you know, I think, and and hey, let's be honest, there are times if I'm over, you know, overtired, if I'm not taking care of myself, um, that it's really easy to future trip like that. Um, I think, uh, you know, surrounding myself again with with really with with good people and resources. And I, you know, I consider you one, you're, you know, you're a mentor. I remember sitting, you know, at a cafe table in Bali, one of my first times I really got to just kind of hang with you, you know, and I think, um, I, I always joke, and I know we talked about this fairly recently, that you're just, you know, I feel like you're down the path a little bit ahead of me, you know, like you're like, I can see, you know, our, you know, my children are still, gosh, they're still in high school, they're, te- you know, young teenagers. Um, but I feel like, you know, surrounding ourselves with really great, you know, mentors and people who have been through it, um, you know, allows us to, to stay grounded and, and to not live in that fear. Um, and it is hard. It's, it's, it, that is in itself as a transformation to understand that the loss and the friction, and again, some of the trauma that many women experience and men as well too, during this process that can be harnessed to kind of ride, ride that wild, you know, ride, ride the wild horse out into something that's just much more healing and, and meaningful, it's a bit of a mulligan, right? It's a bit of a, a do-over. We get to, you know, um, you know, I just always suggest that people kind of harness that feel. It's acknowledge, you can't ignore it, but, um, you know, there's a way to, to harness it, to be able to ride it through um, to this beautiful place of transformation. It becomes less about being somebody's mom or somebody's wife and you and we, you know, get the opportunity of, self-discovery, um, just to kind of, you know, learn about our own sovereign selves, right? Absolutely. You know, it, it touched me a little bit when you said that I was the first person in my family to have gotten divorced. Did I get that right? You did. Yes. Yeah. And, and um, that's not so common anymore, right? I mean, I think with divorce rates now hovering in the mid 60s and the reason it's not continuing to grow, according to the statistics, is that we're aging and millennials are not getting married. 
mm-hmm. as early. Yes. So yeah. they are the majority of millennials. There's there's always going to be some who think that getting married at 22 and right out of college, usually they're getting out of a religious type of college and the, they get married because, you know, we can't have sex if you don't get married. So you get that younger generation that's still kind of marrying in the early 20s. But the most in the majority of the the new generations, um, I think they just renamed the generation that's, um, I think they're now 21 and younger because they're not millennials anymore. They're a new generation. Do you remember what it's called? I, I have to do my research for some new cute little term. Well, you got two of them, so you better figure that one out, honey. But <laughs> I know. Uh, so I believe that the reason that the divorce rates are not increasing and that they're hovering in the 60 range, 60% range is because the millennials are not marrying. They're either delaying the marriage into their thirties, you know, mid to late thirties, even into their forties or saying F it, I'm not ever getting married. And the reason they're saying that I don't want to mess up like my parents did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. because my generation, you know, is the, you know, the Gen X grew up in the eighties was very, you know, Reagan, me, 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 economy booming F anyone else. It's all about me, me, me. And we just did what we wanted to do. It was, I mean, I wisely, unwisely got married super young myself should have waited at least a few more years to figure out what the hell I was doing with my life. But, um, we just went ahead and did what we want. It was all about the car, the house, the wife, the kids, the job, the watch, the gold chain, the vacations. It was, you know, the, the mid to late 80s and early 90s. And it was very different and kind of feeling like you had to live up to the pressure of what was ex- not kind of absolutely yeah. felt like we had to live up to the expectations and the pressure of our the baby boomers and the generations before us of get that amazing job. Well, first of all, you damn well better go to college and graduate and get a great degree and get an amazing job and fall in love with Mr. Perfect and have a great, you know, spectacle of a wedding. And you better live in a gorgeous house and have a few beautiful kids because isn't that on our list of things to do today? It's just what was expected. You got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it until many women of that generation woke up. Usually it's around the age of 35 and said, what just happened to me? And now that a lot of that generation never got divorced, you know, people that are in their 60s, 70s and 80s, like the generation that like stayed together for the children and religious religious reasons was an issue and then you've got the generation now they're in their 40s and 50s and they're saying i'm miserable he's miserable she's miserable the kids are miserable everyone's pretending that we're happy i'm not doing this anymore and that's where the 35 to 60 year old set is currently living Mm. But somebody that is new is new in the family to divorce sitting like you, and I happen to be the first person on my side of the family to get divorced, not my ex-husband's fam- side. His two sisters got divorced, but that was a very different situation. Um, but you know what? That's always just a rationalization. Divorce is divorce, is divorce, is divorce. How did you being the first one in your family to get divorced affect you? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, it was just interesting the amount of, um, you know, guilt and shame that was really associated with it initially. And I remember 
um, when we were, you know, really first hit hit the biggest point where we were like like this marriage <laughs> like we're we're hanging by a thread here um and i remember for for the first it might have even been it was at least six months paul out where um i did not tell a soul that um and that inc- and that included friends as well too and part of that for me was also that i knew that people were going to immediately take sides, that this was going to be, this was a, a, a little bit ugly. It was very emotional. And uh, even though it was, you know, my marriage and my trauma, you know, again, we have siblings, we had, you know, we had children, we have in-laws and friends. And um, so for the longest time, um, I, I kept it to myself, which I will tell you was, was devastating. It was the emotional impact of that. That was me. And at the time I was, um, you know, staying at home, I had taken some time off from my nonprofit job I had with my second child with my daughter. And I was actually also taking care of um, another, one of my friend's um, sons who she had recently adopted from Kazakhstan. So I was at home with three toddlers. I was changing diapers and, um, you know, she would drop off her child in the morning and she's one of my dearest friends. She's a maid of honor in my wedding. And I still, I would kind of greet her at the door and I would smile and I would get through it on nap time and get the three kids down. And I would lock myself in the bathroom sobbing on the floor um, because I just really felt that, um, you know, I just, I didn't have the, the confidence or the courage. And I was just also just clouded by a lot of a lot of shame and humiliation around me and like this I might not be able to get this right and uh and the impact of this is you know I I I I had no clue where to begin who to tell first um Mm. you know it was it you know I think I I think about that woman you know that that woman that was really you know trying to do all of the right things but really I was unraveling unraveling you know mm-hmm. so those those listening out there who are at that stage where they're keeping a stiff upper lip and being brave and keeping up the facade of life is great um uh, not telling the siblings, the in-laws, the family, the parents, the, the cousins, you know, the extended family that you're supposed to be able to go to. There are the people that are there supposed to stay with you and listen to you and support you and unconditionally be there for you. And they're the ones that you're not telling mm. because you're afraid they're going to take sides and they're going to judge you and they're going to say, oh, it's not so bad. You know, d- your father and I had it worse. Uh, you know, all the yeah. other cliches that we hear that is reason why we just keep smiling and, and keep our mouth shut so we don't say that. What advice would you give to someone that is here today in 2019 having those feelings of guilt or shame with being the first one in the family or even the third one in the family that you don't want to tell a soul because you know that people are going to tell sides? I, I really think that when I found the courage to start having um, those, those honest discussions. When I started to just, you know, embrace the truth and the messiness. Um, and for, for me, it started with, it started with marriage counseling and, um, you know, finding a really, you know, great counselor. And what we realized, um, 
which which I still laugh about to this day is, you know, it, it did not resolve the issues of our marriage, but it was almost like we were kind of doing parallel counseling is what is what I, you know, thought of it as. But being able to to start to, you know, to say it out loud that, you know, that gave me the first opportunity to kind of uncork the, you know, let the genie out of the bottle, so to speak. Um, and then once it was out, it was kind of hard to, to get back in, but it allowed me to to decompress a little bit. And I certainly think now with, you know, again, looking in the rear view mirror, because this was over, you know, a decade ago, um, that all of those small conversations, and again, these are not conversations I would recommend, you know, we don't have them with everybody, we don't have them on social media, um, but we have our, we have our tribe, and even, you know, sometimes that's just one tried and true person to start exploring the truth with, um, mm. you know, it's all of that kind of Brene Brown daring greatly, you know, living that, you know, that, that honesty and that vulnerability ended up being so transformative to me and then being able to again put it out in a blog you know to be able to start to to share the truths about my story turned out to be so profoundly healing because all it takes mm -hmm. is one other person much like you sitting down at that table in Bali like whole you know like like she's been there, you know, like, we, like she, she gets it. Um, and there, and, and again, the more we start to kind of, you know, fillet the fish, like look at the guts, you know, um, uh, we just find out that we really are so not alone and, um, and so much healing, I think comes from that. It really is incredible. Um, the gift that comes from finding, you know, a, a, a few of your tribe mm -hmm. to start exploring this tough stuff with. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Stacey. As soon as you find that the tribe or the person or the group of people or just you never know where it's going to happen. Mm. You just never know. But it's there's a, there's a bravery in making the decision that I'm going to listen to my intuition. If I continue to keep living my life caged up, you know, boxed in, tied up tightly, where everything appears to be perfect. And I'm going to keep living this lie, keep living this facade. I'm going to keep that stiff upper lip. I'm going to keep, you know, keeping that, that wall between myself and reality. The damage is, is huge. And it starts to really eat away at your heart and your soul. And you become like this hollow shell of of a real person. You don't even look, you look in the mirror, you don't even um, recognize who you are anymore. You're, you're suddenly now just a name, like mm -hmm. wife, mother, sister, daughter, friend, business owner. You're, you're no longer a person. You're like an, you become an entity, but when you finally crack open and fillet that damn fish <laughs> and if find at least a sentence or two of saying, I'm scared, overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I need to trust somebody so I can have a conversation about my feelings and what's going on. There's no going back because you just feel like the 
the the dam has just broken and you can finally process all of that damage that you've been holding on to. Mm. I also believe and find that with my clients over the years, particularly in yoga and birthing and macro and divorce, that when you keep it bottled in, that's when you get sick. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Skin conditions and the allergies and the anxiety and the depression, the insomnia, the autoimmune issues, just, you know, God forbid it turns into something deeper like cancer or heart disease or strokes, but illness versus wellness. So if you look at the the word ill versus looking at the word well, Mm. I, you know, illness begins with the letter I, because it's all about I like I and you're keeping it all locked up into your the ego of what am I going to say and how am I going to survive this but when you shift it from illness to wellness it becomes we and -hmm. if that we can't be you know the the spouse that you thought was the person that you really could trust and could unconditionally make you feel at home and feel heard and supported and listened to and feel cherished when there's judgment and secrets and, and there isn't really a partnership that the, the marriage is no longer a we, it's an I and two eyes don't live well together. You have to live together as a we I do for you. You do for me. I share with you. You share with me because when two people are in a relationship and they're not both giving 100% of themselves, then one person will give back. So it will be in a pullback. I mean to say, so instead of giving a hundred, you're like, screw you. And you're like, I'm going to give 93 today. Not that you have that conversation. Right. But it's a little bit of a, a withdrawal, a withholding, a disregard and a rejection. Mm. And then the other person senses it and they say, Oh yeah, (laughs) I'm going to give 89%. And then the other person either has a choice. They can swoop in and support that person and bump them back up to 100 and then decide themselves, you know what? I was wrong. I gave, I gave, I didn't give it my all. I'm going to kick it up and, you know, step it up a notch and give all of myself again. But that's a marriage that's working. Those are marriages that are working. The ones that don't work are the ones where it's, oh, yeah, I'm going to give 80. And then the other person says, screw you, 70. And before you know it, it's 40 and 30 and 12 and 2 and nothing. Mm. And the marriage is no longer mutually supportive. The marriage is in crisis mode. And hence, divorce isn't far along. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's it's recognizing that, you know, conflict happens in any relationship, you know, in our parenting relationships and in our marriages or, you know, um, you know, it can happen within friendships. And, you know, I think that there's always two ways to look at it. You know, it's the friction of conflict either allows us to to change and grow to kind of come together. And like you said, like we're going to figure out the FO, <laughs> we're going to or we're going to get the FO, um, so to speak, where it's. Again, if it's if we're not able to use um, that conflict and friction in a way that is going to help us to evolve within the relationship, then it really is time, I think, to take a look at it and to get out. And, you know, 
so again, you know, I think even just framing up the language around divorce, you know, once we've committed to or once, you know, the, you know, the, the judges kind of, you know, sealed it up. Um, so it's like, what do we do? Yes, we are, you know, we are now divorced. But again, it's like, for me, it suddenly became I've got okay, so now I'm, I'm no longer a, a wife, I am now a divorcee. Um, but then there was a decision to be made. It's like, okay, I am responsible for my own well-being. And actually, I really was all the, you know, those 19 years in that relationship. And I had let that slide. And I have um, a wonderful person in my life. And he likes to remind me, put on your own damn oxygen mask first. <laughs> um, it's like you're on a plane, you know, you've got to kind of, you know, take care of your own well-being. Um, and before you can really um, break out and, and help others, because, you know, when we when we have diminished or squashed out that light in ourselves, you know, if, if we can't see that, find that again, rekindle that, um, you know, it's very hard to see that in others. Our, uh, you know, our, our future relationships are going to be impacted by by that. So I, you know, I always think of that, you know, the you know, that step beyond divorce is really, um, you know, I always encourage people that, that I have worked with, um, you know, now, like, can we commit to, to that inner journey? And let's look at what being responsible for um, our own well-being looks like, you know, um, it's just an opportunity to flip the script a little bit and to, um, you know, because what's done is done. So it's like, where, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go for here? What does that look like? And the possibilities are so incredibly beautiful. I would have never have gone to mm -hmm. Bali. I would have never have met you. Um, I don't think my kids actually would even be as healthy as they are. I really think that um, that coming together in some sort of solidarity with my former husband, you know, really provided them with, you know, they got to see like, how do you, how do you problem solve? What do you, you know, what do you do when you do disagree? Um, so there were so many gifts in that <laughs> and that very, very difficult experience of going through divorce that I wouldn't, I would not change a thing. I don't have a single regret. Um, I just don't. So Stacy, looking back now that you've been out of your marriage for coming up on 10 years how long has it been oh gosh it's been a little over 10 years now yeah yeah you're able to process it and look at it differently now than you were in 2007-8 you know way back in the days but what were your biggest fears about getting divorced at the time gosh I um oh I had so many um I, I had um, concerns, obviously, around my career, um, because to get, you know, having a dual income family and some of the decisions we made, again, about the house that we lived in, you know, I knew that um, I was going to be struggling on my own, like my passion was nonprofit and helping, um, you know, families in, in trauma and low to moderate income. But those, let's face it, those careers do not pay a real sustainable wage, especially to women. So I had a lot of fear around like, you know, how am I going to navigate the financial situation? Um, I also, again, was really, you know, so concerned about how I was going to be able to raise my children. And um, again, no experience around me um, with, with divorce or seeing other people do it really well. So I would, you know, wanted to, you know, it was so many concerns around it, you know, man, I just don't want to mess my kids up. Um, so I had a ton of fear around that. And then the other big one was like, man, um, 
you know, what is, what are future relationships going to look like? You know, at the time I was 40 years old and I had a lot of fear around, you know, getting back out into the dating world. What is that going to look like? Holy smoke. You know, what do you mean online dating? What, 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 you know, some of the advice I was getting is like, what is this going to look like, you know, as a parent with, you know, again, somebody that was prioritizing my kids, like is, is another man really going to understand that? Um, so there, you know, I, I lived in, um, in the land of fear, certainly, you know, that, that was a place where I, I dropped my anchor down for a little bit. <laughs> and, and, but everybody, that's so common, right? It's, there's no one that is either handed or served divorce papers by their, you know, soon to be ex and says, they say to you, they look at look you in the face and say, there's something I need to tell you, or gee, sit down. I really want to talk to you. Or, uh, as the most common comment is I'm not happy, mm. you know? So there isn't a, a person out there that doesn't have that fear when that conversation happens. How am I going to navigate the finances? Mm. How am I going to be able to raise my kids or how are we going to raise the kids? What does this whole future relationship of dating look like? And, Maybe, and also you didn't address quite a few, but those are your biggest ones. I hear nobody will, nobody will love me ever again. Mm. I'll never find anyone. I'm afraid to be alone and I'd rather be alone and unhappy than alone. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'd rather be with someone and unhappy than alone because they're so afraid of being alone that at least they're still Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so and they're not alone. They still have that label and the personification identification as a wife or as a husband. So those are, you know, the biggest ones. Mm. And of course we could go on, we could just keep going on and on, but why do you believe from your experience now looking at it 10 years where you didn't make the decision, although you did go to family counseling. Um, why do you believe so many women are staying together for the children? You know, I think, again, I think for some folks, especially our age, it is a generational thing. You know, I, uh, my, my parents were, you know, became a couple when my mom was only 15. And, um, and their marriage, that, that was the only relationship that, that she had. Um, and I also know even, you know, for my former husband, um, you know, again, his folks are still together. Um, so I think that, the, you know, there's this, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it, that was the model that so many women our age had. So I think that that's that internal monologue is like, that's, you know, that's the way that it should be. But what I think is really super interesting is for most women that I've talked to, that have kind of hammered it out and they're in their, you know, six, late sixties, early seventies and talking about it is even in conversation, they're exploring that's, you know, some of the issues that their children are having now as, as adults um, that they really question, like what, you know, would my kids have been healthier if I would have left that situation? And now that they're at a time right now where they've kind of come out the other side and they're grateful because they still have their companion and spouse. But I think I, I have had more, I can't, I, I mean, I would have to use both hands and at least one foot to kind of count the conversations with women that, um, that are wrestling with some regrets about not 
leaving. Um, and again, because they're seeing the impact um, that kind of exposing their children to trauma, you know, even when we try to hide it, you know, that energy, that negativity, that tension is palpable. Kids know and they get it. Um, so I think between that kind of example that, that, that women had, and again, those fears that we discussed earlier, it, it feels very, very overwhelming for somebody to consider making that jump into to committing to, to leaving and to starting a whole other journey. It just, I think, feels very, very overwhelming. So I think that that's kind of why people wrestle with it. And again, to your point, too, that there are a lot of people not wanting to commit, afraid of commitment, afraid of making a mistake, um, not trusting themselves. And I think that this all gets us back to we're so we're responsible for our own well-being. And when we can, you know, harness that light that's within ourselves, we're going to see it in others. We're going to draw in the right people and the right relationships um, that are healthier. And until then, as I said in my book, which is still yet to be edited and, and, and trans, you know, transformation, but we're, this is life class and, and, you know, we're going to have relationships and experiences and we're going to be graded on it. And when we get an F we're going to, you know what, we're going to be, we're going to repeat that course. We're going to be, be sitting our, you know, rear ends back down at the desk until we get the lesson, until we kind of get that passing grade. So um, I think, that all of this through through divorce through um through what i'm kind of seeing through conversations through you know the family trauma that that i'm seeing in young families now that it really is like let's get back to our own well-being um and commit to our own inner journey um and kind of tell fear to f off <laughs> you know um you mm-hmm. know, if, you know if, if possible um and my other favorite thing to say too is, you know, let's put, let's put the fun back in dysfunction. You know, like I say that all the time about, about my relationship, you know, um, with my former is, you know, we really do, you know, try and put the fun in dysfunction, that there's a, a way to look at this. Um, I don't want to use the word spin because it sounds negative, but there's, there really is a way to frame this up in a way that works for us in our own well-being and transformation. Mm. I agree. I've always tried to say, um, what lesson can I learn from this? You know, and it's uh, all about growth. And when we stop becoming constant learners, we stop living. Mm. And growth is living. And when look at a plant. Now, I just recently moved and I'm a plant lover. And the first thing I do when I move is I go find a cute little flower shop or florist or something and get some potted plants because plants are life and plants remind you that we're alive and plants take the carbon monoxide, sorry, dioxide, not monoxide. That would be pretty, pretty (laughs) toxic plant, but monoxide or human and, and turn it into oxygen and they in turn give us oxygen and it's this cyclical circle of life. And, of course, there's one plant that I failed to water last week, and it looked pretty sad. I'm looking at it right now. It looked pretty sad this morning when I woke up to get myself some tea. And the first thing I did, I was reminded of the relationship between life and giving and taking mm. and learning and growing from observation. And yeah, I could just ignore the thing and let it die, but then in turn, it wouldn't give back to me. And that's not from an egotistical narcissistic point of view. It's about a partnership 
it's a symbiotic relationship. You know, we have two nostrils and two hands and two feet and our, our two hemispheres of the brain and two eyes and our entire body works together in a symbiotic relationship to support one another. Mm. And when we live from a very narrow viewpoint or worldview of what is in it for me versus what did I learn from this? What mistakes did I do and engage in? What lesson did I learn? That is living. You know, we could all just continue to live in our bubble that, well, it's their fault or I did this because that person made me do that. And, but it's really when you take responsibility for your actions, your decisions, your words, your behaviors, and you start being truthful about your actions, behaviors, experiences, that your life changes. And when you're able to actually get back to your own well-being, because we are responsible for, for it, Stacey. Yeah, I agree. And I love it. So funny. I was, I was right before we, we hopped on our call. I was out. Um, I was out in my deck garden. I don't have a big plot of land anymore. But uh, but I really um, identify with what you said in regards to just again, it's what you know, what we what we nurture and what we pour our, you know, energy into, um, you know, has a much better chance of um, not just surviving, but thriving. And that does include, include ourselves. And, and it's also, you know, the other thing too, is just, you know, it, it is messy. We are, we're human beings. And, uh, you know, I, again, I don't have enough fingers and toes to count the mistakes and kind of pratfalls that I've made during this journey. Um, And there used to be so much shame attached to those mistakes. And now, and I think through the course of, you know, again, writing the book, which was just a purge, right? I mean, I remember just sitting there and literally and emotionally sweating it out, but it was, gosh, all of those, you know, it's kind of owning those. And, and again, those things actually, you know, reminded me of the humor. Um, And, and again, that kind of the fun in the dysfunction that man, like there were some really difficult lessons, um, especially some of those, the, the, oh man, you know, there's just this messy, messy stuff, but it's the beauty of it all. Um, and, uh, and again, that, that, that always would detour me back, um, back, back to me, to, you know, you know, accepting things as they are and, uh, and trying to use that to propel myself forward to create the change that I needed to make. Mm-hmm. So Stacey, I just want to wrap it up a little bit. We're coming up on an hour. Can you believe I it? I can. I could talk to you forever, Papa. You know? <laughs> I could talk to you forever, Seriously, too. I just love riffing with you. <laughs> what advice would you give to a woman at the very beginning of this journey? Oh, that's such a great question. I, um, you know, there, we're living in an age right now where there are just, there's some pretty remarkable resources. Um, and I think that I would encourage um, somebody to reach out. Um, and again, whether, you know, you've got to kind of know yourself um, and, and know your comfort level. But um, again, I think people need to start to um, embrace their stories and and to understand that this I don't think that this is something that anybody is meant to do in isolation or in a silo. I think that I would encourage people to, um, you know, take advantage of what is available. Find a mentor. Find somebody to hold your hand through the process. I mean, you know, what you're doing, Paulette, 
is amazing through your through your coaching because you know again finding somebody like you that has um, just a wealth of knowledge and understanding and especially in some of the really complicated and messy parts I mean not again every divorce is unique um, and you know and again some some people you know again I have an experience where I was able to um, cobble together um, a great co-parenting relationship that I'm super proud of and I have a model that I follow that I endorse but let me just say not all, you know, not all adults can do that. Not all people going through, like some people need to separate, they need to build walls. So um, I think having a resource and a mentor um, to really validate that you're not alone is super essential. Um, I just really would encourage people to start there. Um, and again, to help tamp down that, the, the natural voices of fear that people are going to experience during this journey, you know, to have some support in navigating around the stuff that might be considered a roadblock to transformation and change. Wonderful. And then lastly, what advice would you give to a woman who are, and I, I hate to say women, but predominantly those are, my, that's my listenership. Those are the, the people that find me, but I do have a few men as well. So, Hey dudes, I'm with you, but who, what advice would you give to somebody who really is at the opposite end of the of spectrum? So they're not at the beginning, but they've got the contract, they've got the divorce decree, they've got the settlement there. It's quote unquote done, right? Mm. That, that gavel goes down in the courtroom, whether you've mediated, collaborated, litigated, whatever, it's O-V-E-R, but they're having a difficult time moving on or letting go and recreating their new life. That's a tough one because again, like that, that experience, you know, I've seen women um, uh, that I've worked with um, the, that, that part of the journey can take, I mean, again, for some people it can be surprisingly immediate and for others, it's a longer period of time. And I would also just like to say that, and that's okay. Again, like there's no perfect way to do this. Um, But I think just that in of itself, if people still recognize that it's done and it's over and they're still in the, that struggle, that that's something to really explore and investigate. What is, you know, I would just ask like, what is that here to show you? Um, And are there still some old, um, you know, emotional, patterns that are no longer, you know, serving us. Um, And, uh, you know, how to get to healing, you know, I think that, um, again, it gets back to and I know I've said it several times, but that that inner journey is, you know, if you're, if the ink is still fresh there, um, you know, man, this is a a real opportunity. to, to, to transform your life. It really is an opportunity it, it, to, to start again, to start new, to start watering your own plant. Um, and also, again, to, to practice some things like grace and forgiveness. And again, I, you know, forgiveness is a funny word and I, I kind of wrestle with people around that word, but, um, you know, Oh, there's my puppy. She has to, I know they're saying it's time. It's time. They're saying it's time. But she's like, it's time. No, no. She is a Lulu. If you haven't met Lulu, everyone, she is the 
guard dog of guard dogs. So mm. if anyone even comes near the house, she will immediately start barking. So, um, no, you're right because you've got to water that plant. And if you've got some old wounds that weren't healed, that piece of paper isn't going to do shit. Mm -hmm. It's just a damn piece of paper that that piece of paper is closure. According to the, the government, the legal system, the, the court, the lawyers, all that business. But if it doesn't feel finished with you, if you're still texting your ex, to say happy this and happy that, or how come you this, or how come you that, then th you're still holding on to a relationship that is different or is gone and is not the same. And I love that you said um, you use a recommend a, a platform for writing a um, parenting plan. So I want you to give that to me and put that in the show notes because that could be really helpful to some people. I use several too, but hey, you're the expert. So Fill me in. I'm all ears uh, for platforms for parents to write a parenting plan. It's a big one. And also there's uh, great apps that have come out now in the last year that I've learned about as being a member of the National Association of Divorce Professionals so that when you are having a difficult time communicating with your ex or you're not divorced yet, you're just separated or, you know, still even living in the same marital home, but there's discord that be careful with those conversations mm. you know the the emails will they'll come back to bite you in the derriere the text messages that will haunt you in a deposition the nasty comments that you oh why did i say that they're always and i repeat always going to come back to bite you so there are apps now that you can use for um communicating between spouses with kids and everything and also schools coaches, counselors, therapists, lawyers, financial planners, people like myself, because that way there's no, he said, she said, Oh, that's, or she that's said, she said, or he said, yeah. he said, because that shit didn't exist when you and I got divorced. It just didn't exist. Right. No. And we didn't have that. And of course it all seemed, well, I, I can't pick up the phone, so I'm just going to text him. And we never realized that that would come back in court. And it does. So please, everybody, like, you know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it or say it to your divorce coach because it's confidential and you can get it all off your chest and you can process it and heal it and just throw it down the garbage disposal. And at least you've had the opportunity to say your say your words, say your piece, get it out. Because if you don't, it's going to harbor inside of you and your kids are going to sense it and your family's going to sense it. And, you know, kids grow up and you're with that brink right now, Stace, where the kids aren't little anymore. Mm. And, you know, they get it, you know, and they're not. It's one thing when mom and dad break up and, and the kids are two and four years old um, because they're little. That's all they're ever going to know. That's all they're ever going to remember. But once they hit, you know, 8, 10, 12, 15, you know, forget it. They get it. They know that mom and dad are not vacationing together. They know that mom and dad are not sleeping in the same bedroom. They know that mom and dad are passing like ships in the night. And they know that mom and dad are kind of rolling their eyes behind each other's backs and not collaborating as a parentship. Mm -hmm. It's much more of a obligation or an obligation than it is a marriage. So 
Wow, you've answered some questions. Your insight has been phenomenal. And as an expert, I take every one of your words as a little drop of golden, you know, knowledge, because that's where we grow the most by taking those little words of wisdom from other people like yourself and myself that been through the fire and walked out the other side. Oh, well, thank you. I am just I'm so humbled and honored to just have the opportunity to to talk about something that we're both super passionate about. Um, and again, you know, kind of on our journeys to help heal and help others kind of, you know, release that emotional attachment. Um, and not only do that, but to really build such exciting and fulfilling futures, you know, it just, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, like does not stop at divorce. And, and, um, you know, certainly a part of my life stopped them, but um, I, I cannot get over what, you know, what began as a process of that ending and that door closing and what really lied, lied, you know, and what continues to lie ahead for me. It's just, it's very exciting. And I have nothing but, you know, deep, deep gratitude, even for all the tough stuff. So thank you so much for having me on and for just having the opportunity to hang out with you again. It just, it's always, again, I've just such great um, respect and admiration, um, not only for what you've done, but for what you're doing to kind of, you know, help, to help heal our world. So keep rocking it, Paula. I just, I love you. I love you too. Well, and if people want to follow you on social media or get to know your work or hear a little bit more about the book you're writing or are looking for some advice about careers and family services or how to write and really kick ass parenting plan, what is the best way for people to be in contact with you and find you? Well, that's, you know, I'm in the process um, and I know we talked a little bit, but, uh, you know, I'm hoping in the fall to have something a little bit more concrete where I'll be focusing on coaching um, couples and um, parents and even within businesses and workplace around conflict resolution and healing. So I'm in the process of kind of developing that. But at this point in time, you know, reach out Stacy McCoy on Facebook. You know, I'm, I'm very happy to and often get um, messages that way. And I do have a, a, a blog and this is an oldie, but a goodie and I, and I'm going to put it out there, but, uh, it's called confessions of a dating rookie. And, uh, this is, this is where it began for me. So I think it certainly is a little bit telltale about, you know, my journey prior. Um, this was kind of where it started and, and, and my journey, um, to Bali to, to write my, my book began. So there's also a way to reach out, um, to reach out and reach me that way as well too. And I'm happy to, I can share my, uh, my email address for messages as well too. I can send that along to you as well too. Um, Wonderful. But I, yeah, I would, you know, if, if there's anybody that's interested in doing a little bit of a, a deeper dive or if they have any questions about what we've talked about here today, um, man, I just, I'd, I'd love to be uh, a sounding board and be of help. Well, thanks goddess. And um uh, to, to Bali and beyond. We'll be in touch. And thank you, everyone. And I hope you are surviving your post-4th of July uh, festivities. Enjoy your weekend. Keep it safe and keep thriving. I do mean thriving in the chaos.